So for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Sam, and my role here is that I am the youth pastor, um, so I get the privilege, and it really is a privilege, um, of looking after the young people at Christchurch, um, and hanging out with them, and talking about Jesus, and seeing God just do some really awesome stuff um, with, our, with our young people. So today, we're going to carry on in our series on faith, so we're going to our series on faith is, is kind of about figures and characters in the Old Testament coming all the way through, um, talking about kind of what they had faith for and what lessons of faith we can learn from them. So this morning we're looking at faith to be faithful, okay, looking at the story of Isaac. And I'm not, I'm not expecting anyone else to have noticed this, but the past few sermons that I've done have, have been focused on obedience and faithfulness and living out a daily walk with Jesus. And as far as I can tell, one, it's, it's for one of a few reasons. The first is that God is speaking prophetically to us as a church, that right here and now God is wanting to speak to us as a people in the season that we are in to be faithful and obedient to who he is and to what he's doing. Uh, the second thing that I can think of it is, is that it's just in the text, okay? That the Bible just talks about obedience and faithfulness and gratitude and just walking in that daily walk with Jesus all the time, okay? That it's just in the Bible over and over again. Um, or the third reason is that the elders are really wanting to tell me something and they're hoping by the repetition of me preaching it, it will get into my head. I'm hoping it's the first two and I think it is the first two um, and hopefully we'll see that unpacked um, as we go on. So what I'd love for you to do is to turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 26. Uh, as always, we want you to see that what we're, what we're talking about is from the Bible, from the Word of God, um, and that we're just not making it up. And as you're turning there, I'm just going brief to briefly fill you in on the story of Isaac so far, okay? So what we've had is uh, last week we heard from Duncan about Abraham and his story. And so Isaac is, is the promised child, the one that we've been waiting for, that, that Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for for over 100 years. And he's, he's born, and there's a celebration, and he's circumcised according to the covenant with Abraham that God made. And God has then tested Abraham by telling him to sacrifice Isaac. So we've got that famous story where, where God says, take Isaac into the wilderness and sacrifice him. And God has tested Abraham's faith. He never intended for Abraham to actually sacrifice Isaac, but as a test of his faith, and God provided a ram instead. Okay? And then what we've found is that Sarah has died. Okay, so Sarah has died and has been buried. And then Abraham sends his servant off to find a wife for, for Isaac. And he says, I don't want you to marry a lady of the, of the Canaanites where we're living, but one of my family. So he sends his servant off, and you get this awesome God-orchestrated uh, like sequence of events where, where God brings Rebecca to the servant, and Rebecca comes home and is married to Isaac, and, and the Bible says that Isaac marries her, and he loves her, and he's comforted after the death of his mother, which is just a really lovely picture of marriage um, for those guys. And then Abraham dies, and Isaac and Ishmael bury him, which I'm sure was a really awkward situation, um, and for Isaac and Ishmael, but they bury Abraham. And then Isaac now is the patriarch of his family. He, he prays for his wife, Rebecca, because Rebecca can't conceive. She's barren, and so he prays for her, and she conceives. And she has twins called Jacob and Esau, um, and Sai's going to be speaking about those next week. So with that in mind, we're going to read Genesis 26. We are going to read the majority of it, okay? And there's a reason for that, um, and I hope that that will become clear as we go on. So Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. 
And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to you your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he'd been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled the earth with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also, so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Bathsheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Philcol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So he said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. And we'll leave it there. And so this morning, there's, just, there's something that I want us to start with and something that I think we need to start with in order to put in light what God has called Abraham and Isaac and us as a people to be, as faithful people. And that is the faithfulness of God. Because what we see is right at the start of this, of this story, we see that there is a famine in the land. Okay? So, so Isaac, there's a famine upon another famine. Okay? So it's got really bad, and Isaac had to move his family away from where they were staying, down into Philistia, where it's, the famine isn't as bad. 
And as he moves his family down, God speaks to him. And this is the first time that we see God really speaking to Isaac. We read that God has blessed Isaac, but actually this is the first time we really see God speaking to Isaac. And what he says to Isaac is stunning. And I really want us just to see this and just behold this and for this morning as we, as, we, as we just consider what faithfulness looks like. Because what God speaks is a total commitment to his covenant to Abraham. The promises that God speaks to Isaac is a total commitment to what he has already promised to Abraham. God says to Isaac, I'm not starting again. I've not got a promise for Abraham and another promise for you, and the promises will differ depending on what my mood is. He says, no, I've got one promise, one covenant, and it is exactly the same. We're not changing it. We're not doing anything different. As Abraham was obedient to everything I asked of him, I will be faithful to everything that I have promised him. Everything that he promised, he's faithful to. God wavers on nothing, absolutely nothing of what his promises. His promises were staggering. Your descendants will be as many as the stars of heaven, the sand on the seashore. His promises were staggering. And he's he's completely staunch in his commitment to this undeserved, extravagant promise that he's given to this family of this random man from the land of Ur. He's completely unwavering. He's refused to yield on any of it because he's faithful to those that he has chosen. And Christchurch, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wavers on nothing of his promises to us. Not one of his promises to us he wavers on because in Jesus we see the fulfillment of his promises. In Jesus, we see this this covenant fulfilled with Abraham because Jesus, as a descendant of Abraham, makes a way for people from every nation and tongue to come and to be with God. We see that in Jesus, he's established his people not just in a promised land, but the promised land. When Jesus returns and renews all things, the whole earth, to perfection, to the way it was always meant to be, that Jesus is the bringer of the promised land where his people will dwell in safety and peace with no sin for all eternity. Jesus comes as Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to be with Isaac, to be with him, to be present to him. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And he's also the one who brings the hope that one day that's going to be realized upon that new creation, where Revelation 21.3 describes it as this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his promises to Isaac. He's faithful to his promises to us. And he confirms them and says, okay, Isaac, as I have, I'm saying I'm going to be faithful, so too you must be faithful to me. And we read this in verse 5. Because in verse 5, the original blessing that, 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 that God speaks over Isaac, he says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. He says to Isaac, I'm doing, I'm faithful to this as as Abraham was faithful to what I asked him to do. So too must you. So too must you. So too must you be faithful. Obey my voice. Keep my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Keep what I have called and commissioned you to do and to be. And we, as God's people, as the extension of Abraham's family, are called in light of all that God has done for us in Jesus and all that he's promised us in this life and in the one to come to be obedient, to be faithful to what God has said to us and commanded us to do. 
And we, we, we have this really helpful summary from Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 37, of what, what that command and that is for us. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, the implications of these two commandments are worked out across the whole of the New Testament and backwards as well into the Old Testament and the law. But Jesus is saying, this is the summary of all that I have called my people to be. This sums up everything that is commanded, everything that is said. This is the summary. Love God with everything you've got and love the person next to you. No matter who that person is, love the person next to you. And that is what God is calling us into wholehearted faithfulness in loving God with everything we've got, holding nothing back and loving the person who's next to us, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done to us or to others. Because faithfulness from God's people comes from faith in all of his fullness. Okay, Faithfulness for us is faith in all of his fullness. His abundance, his extravagant grace, his extravagant love, his extravagant mercy, faithfulness for us looks like having faith in all of his fullness, his ability to do it. Do you believe that he has done it and will do it for you this morning? God is faithful to his promises. He will not waver on one of them to you. Not one will fall short. Not one word he has spoken will fall away. Jesus says in the Gospels, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The word of God is eternal and true. You can count on what God has said to you. You can believe it with all that you've got. You can take it to the bank. It is a sure thing, totally sure. And that's how we are called to be faithful. And what we see is in this chapter, there's actually some really helpful principles in helping us see how we can live out a life of faithfulness. And the first is this. God is faithful even when we're not. Okay? God is faithful even when we're not. Because the blessing of God to Isaac in verses 12 and 14, and then again repeated in verses 23 and 24, comes straight off the back of some shocking behavior on behalf of Isaac. Okay? Some really appalling behavior. Because what Isaac does is he takes a leaf out of his dad's book, and when he goes into a land to escape a famine, he says, oh, she's not my wife, she's my sister. She's pretty. I'm worried that someone's going to try and hurt me or attack me or kill me. So let's just fob her off as my sister so that none of it comes back on me. So not only does he lie and completely deceive people, he also completely puts his wife out at the mercy of random people. Because actually, what, back then, the way it worked is that you were protected by your family. And what he's saying, oh no, she's my sister. She's under my protection, but she's, not, she's kind of available, sort of, you know, sort of thing. And then what's really interesting is that Abimelech, in the story, actually comes to Isaac when he finds out, and he says, what are you doing? Because if we as a people had, had slept with your wife or married your wife off or done something like that, then we would have been guilty, that God's wrath would have been upon us. What are you doing? And that's why that, there's such a severe commandment that comes out on behalf of Abimelech, because he understands the punishment that would have been on, on them as a result of them messing with the people of God. So Jacob not only deceives, he also puts his wife in danger and endangers an entire people. Okay? It's a pretty shocking behavior on behalf of Isaac. 
And yet God speaks the most incredible promises to him. And we read of the blessing in verse 12. Literally, as soon as Abimelech has, has finished saying about giving this command, this damage control, he says, Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. A hundred times what he had sowed, he reaped off the back of that. And what the Bible isn't doing is saying, that's great, you should all go and do that. That's a fantastic way of living. It's not saying that at all, far from it. And what we actually see is that this is not just a theme in the Old Testament, but a theme in the New Testament as well. Because the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. Now what they're not saying is that you can do what you want and get away with it because God blesses you anyway. Because what we see as we look into the whole story of the Bible is that when Israel and God's people do that, it goes seriously badly for them. Okay? When they, in their arrogance, think, well, we can, just, we can play around with idols, we can mess around in, in trusting other nations, we can do this, we can do that, we can lead to all kinds of idolatry and debauchery, and we can get away with it, and God will still bless us, it goes really badly, really badly. The kingdom splits, there's divisions and murder and just awful, horrible things happen that lead to them going off into exile, okay? So what God is not saying is, okay, you do what you want and I'll bless you anyway. He's not that. He is holy. He is good. He is a good judge. But what he is saying is that I know you're going to mess up. I know you're going to get it wrong. I know you're going to fail and be faithless to what I've called you to be as a people to what I've called you to do as an individual. I know that's going to happen, whether that's you in your thoughts or your actions or your words or actually as a people together, I just know that that's going to happen. And the good news for us of God being faithful when we're not is that God isn't like us. God isn't like us. Because that 2 Timothy 2.13 verse that I said ends with this, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful even when we're faithless, because he cannot deny himself. Being faithful is not just part of what God does, it's who he is. He cannot deny himself. He cannot be faithless to a people. He cannot be faithless to the promises that he's made. He won't be faithless to the promises that he's made. And what that does for us is because God is faithful when we're faithless, it stops us from getting stuck in the idea of, oh, what if I mess up? What if I do it wrong? What if I say this or say that or don't do this or, 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 or can't really live up to that standard? Or what if I'm never like that person over there? Or what if I never know the Bible that well? Or what if I never can pray in that way? Or what if I never have that kind of gift? It stops us from getting stuck into that mentality or thinking, oh, I've got to be perfect. If I'm not perfect to the people around me, to the people who don't know Jesus, then what's going to happen is they're going to think that Jesus isn't that good. And that actually, I'm, I'm going to end up messing this up for Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do God a favor. I'm just going to just, just pretend I'm not a Christian. I'm just not going to let them know. I'm just not going to say anything. I'm not going to say what God has done in my life. And the reason why that liberates us, that God is faithful, even when we're faithless, is because it gives us such confidence. Such confidence. Because you will fail. You will fail. You will sin. You will mess up. Okay? That's not okay. It's not okay. That sent Jesus to the cross. It cost God everything because you sin and you fail. I don't want to belittle sin here. It's, it's awful. It's abhorrent. Okay? It's separated us from God. 
But God is saying, I know that that's the state that you're at. I know that you're going to fail, and I know that you're going to mess up. And guess what? Because of Jesus, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. So that every sin that you have committed, and actually every sin you will commit, is covered by the blood of Jesus. Do you see what confidence that gives you? As you step out and you fail, you don't go, oh, I've done it. Oh, I knew it was going to happen. As you step out and as you fail, you go, oh, God, thank you that you are good and you are faithful. Please forgive me. Help me to continue on in this. Help me just to go with this. Help me just to do what you've asked me to do, knowing and trusting in your mercy and kindness that it's covered. That I'm not going to try and find a sub kind of salvation where Jesus has got this covered and then I've got to work hard to get that covered. It's all covered. No matter what you do, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, if you come in repentance to Jesus, it's covered. Totally covered. Repent, turn, and be forgiven. See, knowing that God is faithful, even when we are not, should give us the biggest confidence to live lives of radical obedience to God. Because when we fairly picks us up, it's not just that he picks us up, he fills us with his Holy Spirit to make us more like him so that we actually sin less. That as we pursue God, as we live lives of obedience and faithfulness to God, he fills us with his Spirit, moves in power in our lives, equips us to be more like him so we sin less, so we fail less, so we can be more faithful. He doesn't just cover it, he equips us, he lifts us up further than we could ever go by ourselves, where we could never go by ourselves. That we know that as we step out in obedience to God, it's not just covered, he's equipping us. He's lifting us up and on. And we can trust that God is faithful. And he's going to continue to be faithful. Not just because it's something he does. He doesn't just do it sometimes and change his mind and he feels like it one day and doesn't the other. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He is faithful. It's who he is. It's not part of what he does. It's part of who he is. And I thought what might be helpful is to give you just a couple of examples from my own life, um, just to illustrate this point. And so um, one of the things that I've just been, we've just been so blessed with and so grateful with for this year, kind of with, with amongst the young people as we've, as we've stepped out, is we've just seen God just do some awesome stuff, some awesome miracles. And we've seen God heal and heal, not just kind of one or two. We've actually seen God heal tens of people at a time. And just the young people are bringing the words and they are just seeing, we're just having words of knowledge and we're seeing people grow in maturity. Um, and it's just, and the presence of God has just been so thick at times as we've met together. And I found myself at times standing there and going, man, I'm, I'm crushing this. I'm doing great. Aren't I doing well? And I'll be really honest with you, that's not exaggerating. I'm actually thinking that. Okay? In my pride, I am actually thinking that. And then God convicts me of it and shows how evil and how wrong that is. And I go, oh man, that's. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe that whilst all of this stuff that God is doing is going on, I'm sitting there going, yes. Come on. I knew I could do it. But what that hasn't stopped us doing is pursuing God more, pursuing more of the presence of God, pursuing God in healing and power and equipping the young people to go, use your gifts more, pursue God in all he's got. Because I know that even when I'm proud and stupid, thinking that it's me, that God is good 
And he is faithful, and he loves young people more than I love young people, and he desires to build them up more than he desires to build me up. And so we can just trust and pursue it, knowing that even when I mess up and when I'm stupid and when I'm proud, that God's going to keep going. And so I can repent and ask for God's forgiveness and keep pursuing him and seeking to lead in that way. And another area is kind of just with my family. So, so Livy, my daughter, has been, she's been teething, and it's miserable. And it's, it's genuinely miserable at times. And she can get so grumpy, and then I get really grumpy, and then I get grumpy with Hannah for no reason. She's done nothing but just be great all day. And I get grumpy because Livy's grumpy, etc., etc. and it goes on. And actually, God convicts me of my sin in that. And I'm sitting there going, why am I annoyed? She's just in pain. She's a baby. Why am I annoyed with Hannah? She's done nothing but serve Livy and me all day. But what that doesn't do is it doesn't cripple me and me think, oh man, I'm messing up. Like I've just got to either dial back or just pretend to be perfect or make some excuses or maybe don't mention it in a sermon because that's bad news because then everyone's going to know that's what's happening. Actually, it releases me to go, oh man, God, thank you that you are a better father than I am ever going to be. Thank you that you are my father. Thank you that you are patient with me. Thank you that you love Hannah. Thank you you're going to continue to beat me over the head with sanctification until I get that I'm supposed to be patient in times when I'm not. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing that for me. And it just releases me just to try and strive to be the best dad I can be and strive to be the best husband I can be. Not because I've got it. I haven't. But because God is faithful and will continue to work in my life. Do we see this? We can be radically obedient to God and faithful to all that he's commanded us to be because he is faithful, because he's got it covered and because he will move in power in our lives. The next thing, actually. Okay, I feel like God just wants to hit this point a little bit more um, and I feel like there's individuals that he wants to hit this about. So if you are here and you're thinking, that's great, but it's not me. I'm, I'm anxious about some of that stuff. It's not just that kind of I don't feel like I can do it or think that I can do it or I've bowed out a couple of times when I could have. This is an anxiety for me, it's stepping out in this stuff. I feel like God just wants to say to you now, he's faithful to you personally, specifically to you. That you can do all that God has commanded you to do because God will equip you to do it and because his, his blood has covered every sin. That as, even if you step out and you do fail, that God's got that covered. Just to know that this morning. Okay? If it's not just something that you wish you were doing but you aren't, but actually it's a, it's a deep anxiety rising up that rises up in you when you think about, oh man, like, God's just, he's got stuff for me and I'm not doing it and I don't feel like I've ever done it. If that is an anxiety for you this morning, you can do it, you will do it. God is with you, he's for you. I just want you to know that this morning. Okay, so the second thing that we really see in this passage is faithfulness is developed through communion with God. Okay, by communion with God, what I mean is, is, is coming to God and being with God and a relationship with God. Okay? So faithfulness is developed through communion with God. Because when Isaac returns home to Bathsheba in verses 23 to 25, God speaks to him in a dream. Okay? 
And what, what Isaac does then is because Bathsheba is, is his home. He's back in the land of Canaan. He's back in, in kind of that land of promise. He's back home, and God speaks to him in a dream. And so what Isaac does is he says, right, I'm going to build an altar. Okay, and this is significant because back then there was no temple, okay, there was no place, specific place for people to go to worship, so what they did is they built altars, and these altars were places of worship. So he builds an altar, and he pitches his tent, um, and that could either be the place where he's going to live, or it could be a tent that is a place for worship, and he uses that as a place for him to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, And what we actually see is that this is a pattern for Isaac. It would be easy almost to see that that Isaac is doing this just because God has spoken to him specifically. But actually in Genesis 24, verse 63, what we see is that Isaac goes out to meditate in a field. Even before he meets his wife, Rebecca. He's he's out in a field in the evening meditating. And actually, the way the text reads, I think it reads as if this isn't just a random thing. It's not, it's, not, it's not something that just happens to happen that one time, but it just appears, it just seems more natural than that. It just seems to be something that God is doing with Isaac a lot, that Isaac is going and he's meditating, and what he's meditating on is probably all the promises that God has given his father, right? Because that's all he knows of God, is what God has spoken to his dad. And so he's going and he's meditating upon these promises and he's thinking upon these things that God has spoken to his dad. And then God speaks to him and confirms all these things. And he goes, right, well, best have a place to come to God and talk to him about it then. So he does. And Jesus builds on it. Jesus himself, he reiterates this. He confirms this by saying that the key to being faithful is coming to him. And we read this. This is in John chapter 15, verses 4 to 5. And it says, abide in me. Abide just meaning remain, come to, commune with me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's so beautiful. And that's so liberating. That's so liberating, isn't it? To hear that. Jesus says, come to me. Spend time with me. Read the Bible. Pray, worship, fast. Stir up your affections for Jesus. Because it's from that place that you're going to be faithful. It's from that place you're going to be fruitful. Actually, he says that if you're not coming to that place, you won't be. You can't do anything, can't do anything for me if you're not just spending daily time in me. Come to me, spend time with me, and then let's go to work. Now, that may look different for different people. That's going to look like different times in the Bible, different times praying, different ways of praying, different ways of coming to Jesus and building up your affection for him. But Jesus is pretty clear that if you want to live a life of faithfulness, if we together want to live lives of faithfulness, then that comes from spending time with God. That comes from putting that, that devotion and that time in. If we're not doing it, we won't be being faithful. Ever. We can try, but it's never going to be fruitfulness. It's never going to be faithfulness. And when we see people living like this, it is stunning. And, and maybe you can call to mind, as I've been speaking, people that, that, that just live lives of this. And when I'm talking about live lives of this, you look at their life and you look at how they are and you go, they must be spending time with God. Because there is no other way that they are getting like that. 
There is no other way they are being that faithful, that loving, that obedient, that kind. There's no way they're doing that unless they're just in there with God because they reflect God and they leak God. And different people will have different people that spring to mind for that, but, but people just in this church do that for me. People like Paul and Ray and Jeff and loads of other people, I look at them and I go, they just know Jesus. They're obviously spending time with him. The way that they live their lives in obedience to God means they've got to be there with him. How can I develop this more? How can I know this more? How can I understand this more? Lives of daily communion with God lead to lives of daily obedience to God. Okay? Lives of daily communion with God lead to lives of daily obedience to God. We've got to get this. We've got to grasp this because it ties so much in with what we've said before. God is faithful. He's called us to something. He'll pick us up when, he may, when we mess up. He'll move us along. But we've got to be coming to him in order to do that. They come together. You can't have one and then the other. You've got to be coming to God to do that. And that doesn't just work out for us individually, but this also has a, as an application for us as a church family, okay? That actually as we, as we meet together, this has an application. And, and part of our culture as a church that we're seeking to establish is that our family, that we love one another and serve one another and build one another up, okay? So that as we gather together as God's people, that's what we're doing. We're seeking to encourage, serve, build one another up so that we can all grow in faithful obedience. Ephesians 4 puts it like this. To equip the saints for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That as we all contribute to this, that we will grow in faithfulness. And there are ways to kill that, and there are ways to stop that, if there is disunity amongst us, it stops us growing in faithfulness together. If we are not forgiving one another for wrongs that we may be committing against one another, then we are not growing in unity and we are not growing in faithfulness. If we are gossiping about people, even if it's not people in the church, but just people in general, and slandering people behind their backs, whether it's just you know, a bit of a laugh or not, it's not going to grow us in unity. We are never going to reach that place of faithful obedience that God is calling us to. You know, if, if, if you recognize a sin in someone, and rather than going, as the Bible says, and speaking to them first and just saying, listen, I've just seen this in your life, and I'm just concerned about you. Can I just walk with you with this? Can I just pray for you with this? Like, I've not spoken to anyone else about it. If we don't do that, if we go and tell nine other people first and say, I'm just concerned about this person for this reason, then we're not going to be growing in unity and in faithful obedience. And Christchurch, if God has given you a gift, whatever that gift may be, and you're not using it for the blessing and the benefit of the church because there's a, actually a selfish reason for not, or if there is a need spiritually, physically, practically, emotionally in the church that you see and you're not willing to step into the gap, 
then you are limiting how we can grow as a faithful people. And the reason for this is because it's not because anyone's standing at the front and going, we can't, you know, come on guys, pick up the pace. It's because this is just who the Bible says the church is. That we need one another. That if we're going to grow in this, if we're going to be faithfully obedient to what God has commanded, we can't do it on our own. We so need the people around us who are gifted and, and have got experience in the different things that we have not got so that we can all grow together in unity, in maturity, to be the witness that God has called us to be in this earth. And finally, God's faithfulness and your obedience, it will draw people to God. Because what we see is that Isaac goes down to to the Philistines, to Abimelech, and Abimelech comes back out to him after he sends him away. And he says, listen, we need, we need some sort of agreement because you you're going to crush us one day unless we have this. So let's, let's have an agreement. We've actually, been, we've actually been good to you. We've done well by you. Can you just do well by us, please? And the way that he communicates it is this. In verse 28, he says, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we have said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. That as God is faithful to us as his people and as we live lives of daily faithfulness, daily obedience to God, God uses that to draw people in. Abimelech couldn't deny it. He's not just giving lip service to it. He's saying the guy who came to help for, for help because he was in a famine is the guy who reaped a hundred what he sowed in one year. The guy who's got flocks and sheep and herds and all sorts of stuff that we don't have. He's got servants and an army and people that we don't have. There's only God who could have done that. And as we live lives together as faithful obedience to God, the people around us are going to say, there is no way you could love one another, you could love me, you could love this town without it being God. There is no way that you would sacrifice and give and show and share and love and welcome and bless and forgive if it wasn't for God. If we give ourselves over to this because God is faithful even when we're not, Because as we spend time with him, we can grow in faithfulness. That the people around us who don't know Jesus, they're going to get drawn into it. Because that's the way that God moves and the way that God works. And that was his plan from the start. I'm just going to invite the band up as we close. Because I feel like as I was preparing it, there is a response that God wants from us as a people. And I feel it's, it's for different categories, and you may be in, in all of these categories, or just one of these categories, or none of these categories. But what I feel like is that just as we respond in this last song, would you just, would you just come forward and receive prayer? So to, to, to my right, to your left, would you just come and just receive prayer this morning for, for these things? And the first is that I felt like God was saying that he wants to remind people of his faithfulness. That if you're here this morning and you're going through a horrible time or you've been through a horrible time, that actually you're disappointed and disenchanted and confused and just like, God, where are you in this? I start God to say he wants you to come forward 
Just be reminded again of his faithfulness to you in Jesus. Just come and receive prayer for that. Just come and hear his heart for you again to receive his love. The second is if you, as I was speaking about the, the whole anxiety thing, actually the idea of, actually, I can't, I don't feel like I can do this. I'm so afraid of failing. I feel like I've got to be perfect, and if I'm not perfect or doing it perfectly, I can't do it. If you feel like that's you this morning, will you just come forward and receive prayer? Be set free from anxiety. Be released by the freedom that God has given us to be faithful to him with. And the next one is just that if you just long to draw nearer to God, just to communion, communion with him more on a daily basis, just to get in close and enable that to lead you to a life of faithfulness, will you just come and receive prayer this morning? There's no shame in receiving prayer. That's part of why we're here, right? It's to grow in God together, to receive from him, to receive what he has for us, to come and just receive that prayer this morning. Let me just pray as we close. Lord, we're so grateful for your faithfulness. Lord, you are faithful when we're not. Lord, that you draw near to us as we draw near to you. Lord, you have got for us a plan and a purpose, and that involves us being faithful to all that you've commanded us, whether we like it or not, whether it's hard or it's not. Lord, you've called us to radical obedience because of the radical promises and things that you have done for us. Lord, help us to live faithful lives. Lord, help us to receive this morning from what you've shared to us in the word, in the worship, and in the words that have been brought as you've been ministering to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lead us, guide us, move in us, we pray. In your name. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.